before I invite Pastor Paul up to open the word for us today, I want to spend a minute and pray for our nation. This week, I have just felt a heaviness of heart for where we are as a nation and just feel called to offer you some encouragement and exhortation and even a little challenge today about what it looks like to be Christians in this world that we live in currently. Because I think we can all agree that we are living in a nation that's divided. 2020 is an election year, and with the recent impeachment of the president, the temptation to disengage and or be divided based on our political leanings is only going to intensify. As a church, our mission is this, becoming like Jesus and making him known. And so we must look to the scriptures and also lean on the guidance of the Holy Spirit to engage the way Jesus would call us to engage. And I'm bringing this up today because I believe that in the days ahead, we as Christ followers are going to be pulled and tempted into both disengagement and divisiveness. That is the current of our world. And I do not believe either are the call of Christ for you and me. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself says this, you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. That's that's part of our calling and our duty as his followers to work for justice and what is right in this world, specifically in the society in which God has placed us. It is our duty not to disengage, but to engage and to engage in a way that would bring honor and glory to Jesus, representing him and his kingdom well. Perhaps this is why in that very same sermon, Jesus says this, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who resist the dividing forces this world will throw our way. Blessed are those who will not be pulled into the hate and retaliation and rhetoric. Blessed are those who by the power of the Spirit will work to bring people together as we seek first to be the kind of nation and people God longs for us to be. So friends, this morning, again, I want to call us to prayer. And I want to call us to prayer because... What we do and how we respond is not always easy, at least not for me. I want to call us to prayer because we need the guidance and the uniting power of the Holy Spirit in our midst. And mostly I want to call us to prayer because as difficult as this season in our nation is, it is actually a great opportunity for us. It's an opportunity for us to remember and lift up the one who we truly follow and put our trust in. Amen? So let's pray together, and I'll also pray for Pastor Paul as he comes today to talk to us about the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we turn to you. We look to you, Lord, for wisdom and guidance, for for patience, for knowledge of when to engage and what to say. And we ask, Lord, that you would even mold and shape our hearts, align our hearts and thoughts and beliefs with yours. Help us to be people who truly represent who you are and what you value in this world. I pray, Lord, that as we walk into a political culture that is 
filled with hate and division, that we would be people that shine your light bright, that when people talk to us and experience us, they would feel the fruit of your spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that we would be marked by such things, Lord, that we would stand for you, but stand in the right way. So help us, Lord. Help us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth because of your power that flows in us by your spirit. And this morning, Lord, as Pastor Paul comes to open your word, and as he talks to us about the good shepherd, Lord, may we remember who you are. May we remember what you offer. And may we follow behind you and you alone. That's our prayer, and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, and Merry Christmas, Cedar Mill. Yeah, hey, if you are new uh, or visiting us for the first time today, I do, I want to welcome you. We're privileged to have you with us. And I also want to invite you back on Tuesday to celebrate Christmas with us. It's a special day, and it's going to be a really powerful time for us as a, as a community. But this morning, we're going to continue um, our Thrill of Hope series. And it's a series that we've been walking through where we look at how Jesus gives us hope as we explore the Gospel of John. A few weeks ago, Pastor Dave looked at the hope for satisfaction as he unpacked John chapter 6. And then last week, Dr. John Johnson looked at how Jesus is our hope because he truly is the way, the truth, and the life. But this morning, we're going to look at the hope for rest. The hope for rest. And rest is a big deal at our house, as Dave mentioned. It's a big deal because we don't get much of it. It's kind of rare. I've got three older children, uh, teenagers, one's that, one that's almost a teenager, and they like to stay up late. And then I've got three younger little ones who are honestly like roosters. And the minute they see a crack of light, they're up and ready to go. Even if the moon is especially bright, we have to convince them it's not morning. So in that space, Bethany and I don't always get a whole lot of rest. So if you see us moving about Monday through Saturday, sometimes we're getting by almost exclusively on the Holy Spirit and, and coffee and coffee. <laughs> but this morning, uh, we're going to get into our Bibles. We're going to open them up to John chapter 10. And um, we have a lot to cover. One of my favorite Bible teachers says you could preach out of the Gospel of John your whole career and still not run out of things to preach on. And we have a lot to cover. So let's get, let's get right into our Bibles. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. And if not, no worries, just follow along on the screen behind. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. 
To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was trying to say. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Now the idea of the shepherd runs throughout Scripture. But typically, if you grew up in a home like mine where you heard the Christmas story out of the Bible, the story of Jesus' birth, your first encounter with shepherds probably came from that story. And for me, I remember, it almost felt like yesterday, being back in kindergarten and doing our Christmas play. And I remember the teacher coming to six of us boys going, three of you can be wise men, and three of you can be shepherds. And I remember when she showed us the costume, I knew instantly, I'm a wise man. <laughs> the wise man costume was this colorful robe and this plastic gold crown and about three or four plastic rings with plastic rubies in them and two gold chains. So think toy section at the Dollar Tree, all right? <laughs> Honestly, it was something more like a wannabe rapper or a, a professional wrestler would wear. But I knew I 100% wanted to be a wise man after I saw the shepherd costume. It was this hacked off old bathrobe <laughs> with this old pillowcase that you put on your head with a, a scrunchie a woman would wear in her hair to hold it on your head. 
And at that moment, I was all in to be a wise man. Now, I was devastated when the teacher looked at me and she said, you're going to be a shepherd. And I remember holding it together until I got home. And then I just cried. And I remember pouting and saying, I don't want to be a shepherd. I'll never be a shepherd. And as I was like writing this for the sermon, I thought, what a chuckle God had. Because he... Because he knew that I was going to be a pastor, obviously. And pastor is just another word for shepherd. So God always gets the last laugh. But, but I remember that. But let's look at our text this morning. Because oftentimes, Jesus will use parables or narrative stories to explain a text. And what he's trying to teach. But here we see imagery or simply an expanded metaphor. And the metaphor or the imagery is of sheep farming. Now, most of us are unfamiliar with sheep farming or being a shepherd. And I checked this at nine, and I just want to check one more time. Has anyone in here ever been a shepherd? Okay. So we're O for all Sunday. So, oh, we have one back here? One shepherd, be, be proud, shepherd, all right. Well, from the days of Abraham to modern times, sheep have abounded in the Holy Lands. The Jews of the Bible were very familiar with sheep and shepherds, as many were first shepherds and then farmers. But for us to fully understand what Jesus desires to teach us in this passage... We need a basic understanding of the role of shepherd and his sheep. Now, sheep are really good at a few things. They are good at drowning. (laughs) They are good at being defenseless. And they are good at being utterly dependent on the shepherd. Because they are afraid of water, they literally have to be led to still waters by the shepherd. Otherwise, they would die. And if they get too far into the water, they don't swim, they just sink. And they have to be led to green pasture as well. Otherwise, they will eat in the same spot over and over and over again and eat the grass down to the roots and then the pasture will be destroyed. They are completely dependent on the shepherd. And have you ever noticed there are no wild sheep? There aren't. If you release just about any other animal into the wild, they can survive. Release a horse. You have a wild horse. People write songs about them. Rabbits. Has anybody been to Cannon Beach lately? They're everywhere. And it's all because somebody released their pet rabbit one day years ago. Even our English bulldog, who we rescued two years ago, and I'm going to say this in the most affectionate and loving way, he is not very bright. (laughs) He barks at the wall most of the day. (laughs) But even he managed to live in the wild for a couple of months before he came to us. But not sheep. 
They cannot make it without a shepherd. So let's look again at verses 1 and 2. Jesus introduces us to the shepherd. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So here we go. Jesus starts off verse 1, truly, truly. Friends, whenever you see Jesus say, truly, truly, pay really close attention because he's about to say something of tremendous importance. And then we see two different characters in these verses. The thief, robber, and the shepherd. The thief, robber, represents the religious leaders who were responsible for shepherding God's people, but exploited them and led them astray instead. And then in verse 2, Jesus introduces the shepherd. And we will see soon, Jesus identifies himself as the true shepherd. Now, before we press any further into our text today, we need to pan back and look at the whole of Scripture, specifically the Old Testament. The idea of the shepherd that Jesus mentions is infused with meaning. The religious leaders who he was speaking with <clears throat> would have most certainly known what Jesus was trying to communicate. The Old Testament is full of references to shepherds. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd and then became king. And the image of the shepherd in the Old Testament develops, develops along two different lines. First, there are the false shepherds who claim to care for the sheep, but again, exploit them for selfish gain. And second, God himself is referred to as a shepherd to his people and promises to send a shepherd to care for them in the future. Genesis 48, Jacob refers to God, who has been my shepherd all my life. In Psalm 80, the psalmist cries out, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Isaiah speaks of the day when the Lord will come to save his people. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those with young. And gently lead those with young. One of my favorite verses for parents. And then most famously, and is probably the most known chapter in all of Scripture, Psalm 23, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. Scripture is telling us God is a shepherd. He knows his sheep and cares for all their needs. And he is both a shepherd to his flock and cares for the individual sheep personally. As David says, the Lord is my shepherd. But the text that would have first come to mind in the minds of the religious leaders who were listening to Jesus would most definitely have been Ezekiel 34. Now the first part of Ezekiel 34, God condemns the false shepherds who are leading his people astray. And then God says this, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. 
I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now, it's important to note, as D.A. Carson says, that David has been dead for hundreds of years already. And God is not saying that he's going to raise David from, de from the dead. No, he is promising in the future he will send another to be the shepherd of his people, to care for all their needs. And this is what Jesus is announcing here. I am that shepherd. I am the promised true shepherd. I am the one who will take care of my sheep and meet all of their needs. Now, friends, this is good news. Because who are the sheep in this story? Us, okay? We are. Those of us who have trusted Jesus are his sheep. Now, I know some of you, if you're like me, would rather Jesus called you a lion or a tiger or at least something that can care for itself out in the wild, right? Like Paul the lion sounds a lot better to me than Paul the sheep. But he calls us sheep because sheep need a shepherd and he wants us to know we do too. In fact, Jesus is so aware of our need for a shepherd that when he sees those who have no shepherd, it literally grieves him. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. But here's the tension, friends. We can be some pretty restless sheep who look to other people to be our shepherd rather than looking to Jesus, the true shepherd, to meet the deepest needs of our hearts. We seek to have those needs met by others. And this only results in disappointment, pain, and more restlessness. A lot of us had thought, if we're being honest, that the person we will marry will finally be, finally be the one that meets all the deep needs of our heart. And then we realize they can't do it. I think it took Bethany about 24 hours. <laughs> Maybe we thought our parents would meet all of our needs, but then realized they didn't or weren't able to. Maybe we looked to friends and they let us down. Maybe it is a boss. Maybe a pastor. Maybe a counselor. And for some, it's a politician or a national leader. And we think, this is the one who will meet my needs. So we commit to following them and listening to their voice rather than the true shepherd. But none of these people can meet the deepest needs of our hearts. So we remain restless, hoping the next person will be the shepherd we are looking for to provide us rest. 
Seven years ago, I went through probably one of the most disorienting, painful times in my life. At 1.30 in the morning, I get a call from my closest friend at that time, from his wife. He was the father of three children, with one on the way. And in the process of becoming an elder at his church, he and Bethany, or uh, his wife and Bethany are close, and his children are close to my children. And he and I would meet weekly to read theology and discuss the Bible. To put it simply, I deeply love this guy. But that night when I picked up the phone, his wife was weeping hysterically. And she told me my friend had not come home. In the days that followed, we discovered that my closest friend had been living a secret life for years. And that that night had decided to leave his family and her pregnant with their fourth child. I'd always thought of myself as being pretty perceptive about people. But after the shock, I remember feeling disoriented by the fact I didn't even see it coming. As I processed through the years, I realized he was very rarely vulnerable with me as a friend and never seemed to want to be fully known. But years later, we agreed to meet. And I remember asking him why. Why and how could you leave your wife and your four children? His answer was essentially this, that he realized she would always disappoint him and could not meet his deep needs in the way he desired. So he left that night and is still restlessly looking for someone to meet the deep needs of his heart. As Tim Keller says, the fact of the matter is, everybody, until they recognize they need a shepherd, and no human being besides Jesus can be the shepherd, until then, you are always going to be restless, and you are always going to be unhappy. And Augustine famously puts it this way in his Confessions. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Friends, we all know deep down we need someone who can meet our deepest needs as people and will care for us completely like a shepherd would. And here Jesus is saying, it's me. I am the shepherd you need and have been looking for all this time. No love from a spouse, a friend, a parent. No amount of likes on Instagram. No success at your job or praise from people can fulfill you like I can. And I give myself completely to care for you as my sheep. No one can meet your deepest needs and love you like I do. I am the true shepherd. Now friends, for the rest of our time this morning, I want to look at three ways the true shepherd meets our deepest needs and provides us rest. First, we can rest because he knows us completely. Look again with me at verses 3 through 5. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. 
A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do, they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, the typical family back then would keep their sheep in the courtyard of their residence. But often in villages, families, multiple families, would keep their sheep in larger sheep pens. And the enclosure would be fenced all around with a door or a gate to get out. And at night, a hired watchman would stand at the gate to keep intruders out. Now in the morning, the individual shepherds would come out and the watchman would only allow in the appropriate shepherds. And then each shepherd would call out their own sheep. They would have a, a specific sounding call. And the sheep that belonged to that shepherd would hear that call and come to the shepherd. But here Jesus takes the image even farther. Not only do the sheep know the voice of their shepherd, but he says he knows his sheep by name. He knows his sheep personally, intimately. The shepherd fully knows his sheep. Every single thing about them. Now the reality is that each of us has a deep need and desire to be known. And yet at the same time, we are terrified, terrified of being fully known. Modern writers and psychologists are very familiar with this reality. We think, I deeply want to be known, but if someone really knew everything about me, everything I've done, thought, or said, there is no way they'll accept me or love me. It's why sociologist Brene Brown says, vulnerability sounds like truth, but feels like courage. Because, friends, we only need courage when there's fear. A year or two ago, I remember wrestling intensely with whether or not to share in a sermon that I struggled with depression before and was clinically depressed in my 20s. I had shared it before with a Christian counselor, and it did not go well. Yet, as philosopher Soren Kierkegaard says, we know that we need to be known fully and accepted, but we just fear we may be rejected. And Scripture tells us exactly where this fear of being fully known, yet yearning to be known, finds its origin. It all starts in the garden. Genesis 3 tells us, once Adam and Eve rebelled against God, seeking, be, seeking to be the Lord of their own lives, they became aware of their physical and spiritual nakedness and felt shame. They sought to cover themselves in front of each other and hide from God. Prior to that, they lived with God, naked and completely known, and without any shame. But after they rebelled, they experienced shame and thought they needed to hide themselves. That condition started with Adam and Eve, but has been inherited by each one of us. So we feel shame, and we feel the need to cover ourselves that, so that others will love and approve of us. Maybe we hide behind our professional success, or being the perfect mom, the perfect husband, or just pretending your life is perfect when it's actually not perfect at all. But here Jesus says, I am the shepherd, and I know my sheep by their name. I know them intimately and fully. 
And Jesus demonstrated this throughout his ministry. When he spoke to Nathaniel and said, I saw you, Nathaniel, under the fig tree. Now, I have no idea what Nathaniel was doing or thinking, but it must have been something only Nathaniel knew. Because all Nathaniel could do in response to Jesus is say, You are the Son of God. Yet if all Jesus said is that he knows us fully, that should rightly terrify us. But he doesn't leave it there. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Friend, do you get the absolute extravagance of this statement? Jesus is saying he knows you fully and loves you as his sheep, like he knows and loves his Father, and his Father knows and loves him. Friends, there is no greater love than the love the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father. You are loved that much. There's no way to exaggerate that love. It's just extravagant love. So how does it provide us rest? There's a children's book written by Max Lucado that I love. I'm a former kids pastor. You're going to get a lot of those. In it, Lucado tells the story of a character named Punchinello, who was a Wimmick. And the Wimmicks are wooden people, much like Pinocchio. The Wimmicks would spend their days seeking to receive stars from one another. The other Wimmicks would give out stars for those people they approved of or who they thought did things that made them valuable. But if you messed up, you got a dot. But no matter how hard Punchinello tried, he could never get a star. Just a bunch of dots. Then one day he saw another Wimmick who had no stars or dots on her at all. And he thought, how does she have no dots or stars? And she told him, go spend time with Eli the carpenter, who lives on the cottage on the hill. Eli was their maker and knew them perfectly and loved and accepted them. And what Punchinello realized was the more time he spent with Eli, the more the shame of the dots did not matter and the dots just started falling off. And the, re the restless pursuit of stars ended. He was at rest with Eli in his love and his acceptance. Friends, you don't need to restlessly pursue stars from others or be approved of in the eyes of others because the eyes of the true shepherd know you fully and his eyes are filled with unspeakable love for you. All you need to do as his sheep is rest in his love. Yet, friend, be aware. Someday, you may mess up. And you may do something and you may think, Jesus will never forgive me now. I am a bad sheep. But know this. What you did might shock you, but it will never shock Jesus. He knows his sheep fully. He saw in your heart what you were going to do long before you did it and he knew it was coming and even though he knows every sin you ever committed or ever will he still loved you so much he willingly went to the cross for you nothing you can do will surprise your shepherd 
And there is nothing you can do, listen to this, there is nothing you can do to cause him to love you more or cause him to love you less. He is your shepherd. Just rest. Second, we can rest because he cares for us. Look at verses 7 through 10. So again, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief, don't, the thief only comes in to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Notice again, truly, truly. And then notice the metaphor and the imagery changes. Jesus is no longer the shepherd that goes in and out of the gate or the door. He is the door. When the shepherds were out in the field at night, and it was too far to lead the sheep back to the village, the shepherds would often cut a sheep pen or a sheepfold out of the brush and the bramble in the field. And then at night, the shepherd himself would actually lay down in that opening and serve as the door to protect the sheep and to keep the intruders out. But then again, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be, he will be saved. Friends, make no mistake, Jesus is saying here the same thing he says in John 14, 6, as Dr. Johnson unpacked for us last week. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now he says, I am the door. I am the only way to God. And if you trust and follow me, you will be saved. Safe from, safe from every enemy that would seek to destroy you or take your eternal life. Your shepherd will protect your soul for eternity. And there is nothing you or any, uh, anyone else can do to take you away from him. And then Jesus shifts the imagery to the provision he offers us as his sheep. He says they will go in and out and find pasture. Then look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says he gives his sheep Abundant life. But what is abundant life? You hear it all the time. Abundant life for the sheep in this metaphor means they were content sheep. And why are they content? They know the shepherd. So what does this mean for us? Contentment comes from knowing the shepherd. Nothing else will satisfy and no matter what the preacher on TV says who wears the Armani suit, the abundant life is not your financial prosperity or the absence of suffering in your life. And no, don't send him any of your money to buy a new jet. He can fly coach. And if you question this, think of the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote about the abundant life as much as anyone and did so most of the time imprisoned and under the threat of torture. So this morning, if you are here, and you are barely able to pay the bills, or pay your rent, or you're in the midst of a difficult, painful circumstance, and you look around and you think, am I the only one that missed out on this abundant life thing? I want to share with you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Jesus the Good Shepherd 
will not travel at such a rate as to overdrive the lambs. He has tender consideration for the poor and the needy. Kings usually look at the interests of the great and the rich, but in the kingdom of our great shepherd, he cares most for the poor. You think, dear heart, that you are forgotten because of your weakness and poverty. Yet this is the very reason you're remembered. And it is important to recognize, friends, the abundant life is eternal life, but it is even more. It is the joy and rest that comes with knowing Jesus as your shepherd, whose love and care for you will never end. Because for Paul and for us, the abundant life is not found in our circumstances. It is found in being cared for by the shepherd and truly knowing him. So friend, I don't know what you're walking through this Christmas season. It's a wonderful time of year. But it is also a time when we often feel the deep pain of a lost loved one who passed away. Or maybe it's the deep pain of a broken relationship. Or maybe you just feel alone. I do not know what you're walking through this Christmas. But I do know this. You have a shepherd and he is near. And he will never leave you or stop caring for you. J.I. Packer says it this way. He knows me. I'm graven on the palms of his hands. I'm never out of his mind. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there's not a moment when his eyes are off me or his attention distracted from me. And no moment, therefore, when his care falters. Brothers and sisters, we can rest in our shepherd's care. Finally, we can rest because our shepherd dies for us. Look at verses 11 through 13. I am the shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is saying here, he is going to lay down his life for his sheep. No hyperbole or flippant promise. Even the great shepherds in the Bible, like Jacob, or David, who actually like chased down a lion and a bear to get his sheep back. He was like the um, John Wick of biblical times. But they might risk their lives. These great shepherds might risk their lives for their sheep. But they would never intend to die for their sheep. Yet that is exactly what Jesus is telling the religious leaders he has come to do. Verse 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus wants it to be very clear. This did not just happen to him. He's not a victim of circumstance. He chose the cross, and he chose to do this for his sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. The charge, this charge I have received from my father. But why did he want to do it? Did you catch that at the end of the verse, uh, verse 18? This charge I have received from my father. It was his father's plan. Because his sheep were in mortal danger due to their sin. 
They were in danger due to their rebellion against God. Their hearts wanted to fight God so they could be their own God. And this brought separation from God. So Jesus, our shepherd, sacrificed himself to protect and deliver his sheep from sin and death, which was like a wolf that sought to destroy us. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself all of your guilt and all of your sin, and he endured the just punishment for his sheep. He laid down his life so the sheep could be spared. Our shepherd Jesus, of infinite worth, lays down his life for the sheep. Friend, he valued your life, your eternal spiritual life so much, he was willing to endure the cross for you. Look at that love. How could we ever turn away from a shepherd like that? But look once again at verse 18. Our shepherd doesn't stay dead. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus never sinned, so death had no claim on him. And when he died, he rose three days later. He conquered death, and with it, as the writer of, the Hebrew, as, as the writer of Hebrews says, delivered all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Our shepherd delivered us from the greatest fear we face. The fear mental health professionals say lies at the root of every phobia. The fear of death. Yet many popular writers and speakers will say, you just need to think of death differently and you won't be scared. If you just think of it as the next stage of growth or accept it, it's natural, and then you won't fear it. Many years ago, we had a foster son who came to us as a newborn right from the hospital. He was referred to us, um, he was referred to us as a medically fragile child because of his many health conditions. And within a few months, he was not doing well. And I will never forget the day that the caseworker called to give me instructions about how to handle it if he died in our home. We are grateful to God he did not die and is, is, is thriving today. But I just remember rocking him and just thinking how unnatural death is. How could such a young little life potentially end so soon? But about a year and a half ago, I rushed up to Seattle to sit with my 90-year-old grandfather who was dying. Yet, friend, uh, yet, yet, friends, as I sat with him, death felt no less unnatural. Age didn't matter. Don't listen to those who would tell you death is okay or natural or the next stage of growth. The Bible agrees with your intuition on this, that death is wrong and is not the way it's supposed to be. Death is an enemy that needs to be dealt with. And that is exactly what our shepherd did. Just like David defeated the lion and the bear to save his sheep, Jesus defeated sin and death and rescued us. And when he did, he conquered our greatest fear and he met our greatest need. And he did it because he loves you. So you can now say with the Apostle Paul, 
O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? As Tim Keller says, Jesus, our shepherd, tells death, you can kill that person physically, but it only makes them more alive than ever. Friends, because of the love of our shepherd, death has no claim on you any longer. Perfect love casts out fear. Just rest. We'll close with this. Some of us here today know Jesus is our shepherd. We know it in our mind that he's our true shepherd. But practically, we're living like a sheep without a shepherd, and we're exhausted. Friends, he's already met your deepest needs. All you need to do now is be a sheep and rest in his love. Now, for some of you in here, you have never truly asked Jesus to be your shepherd. You're exhausted too, looking for others to meet the needs that only he can meet. Living like sheep without a shepherd. Friend, if you hear Jesus' voice this morning, if you hear the voice of the true shepherd in your heart calling you, I'm pleading with you to turn away from your old life and choose to trust and follow Jesus and ask him to be your shepherd. Following the service, we'll have people available in the front and back in the prayer room to pray with you. And finally, I want to ask you this question. What does a shepherd do when a sheep wanders away? He goes after it until he finds it, and then he brings it back rejoicing. Friends, this is the hope I'm clinging to this Christmas for my friend who left his family. And if you are here this morning and you are mourning a husband, a friend, a child, a sibling, someone who has wandered away, I want to tell you one thing. Rest and know that the shepherd is out there looking for them right now. This week, we celebrate the reality that the promised true shepherd arrived humbly as a baby 2,000 years ago. And I want to end by reading this hymn. I love hymns. I cannot tell you why him who, he whom angels worship should set his love upon the sons of men or why as shepherd he should seek the wanderers to bring them back they know not how or when. But this I know, that he was born of Mary when Bethlehem's manger was his only home and that he lived at Nazareth and labored. And so the Savior, the Savior of the world has come. Friends, as we come to these tables this morning, it is a moment for us to remember Jesus, the true shepherd, became the slain lamb of God for you and for me and took upon himself all of our sin and shame and became our rest. Come to the tables when you're ready.